Good morning, Trinity Park Church. It's good to see you all. I want to extend a warm welcome um, to each of you, and certainly to our visitors, whether this is your first time or maybe you're coming again. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we have a great privilege to be together and um, to worship our Savior and King. Also, welcome to those who are joining us online. I want to invite each of you just to engage with us in worship this morning. Um, you can follow along in your bulletin, which you can find in the church website, trinityparkchurch.org, um, or in the church app. So you can open up that now as you read along. Well, I was reflecting on last week's sermon. Towards the end, Corey invited us to consider this question. What are those things that we are living for that God may be calling us to give up? And so this morning in worship, I want us to return to that question and to consider what are those loves, those affections that we have that need to really bow down to the love that Christ has for us. We have experienced an awe-surpassing love from Jesus Christ, our Savior, and so that's what we're going to sing about today. So for a moment, would you just bow your heads as we go to God in worship? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great privilege to come together again in worship we thank you, Lord, that you do a work to remind us that our hearts can be fickle and we can sometimes forget this deep, deep love that you have for us. And so this morning, Lord, as we come to you in worship, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, that you would remind us of those affections that we have placed before you. And we ask, God, that you would help us to lay those things down as we encounter the all-surpassing love of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord, that you loved us first. And we pray that as we worship you, that we would proclaim this love that we have received from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear these words. Um, we'll use this as our call to worship. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. A great reminder of how this love is not an abstract love. This is the love that was demonstrated when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So now let's stand together and sing these words back to God. We're going to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. If you could, I invite you to stand.
thank you, Lord Jesus, that all other ground is sinking sand, for you are our foundation. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Trinity Park Church. My name is Andy Yu. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to see all of you here this morning. Uh, would you join me now as we come before our holy and living God uh, to in this section of our worship called the Confession of Sin. Now, as believers, we do not want to take things for granted, even though we are saved by the grace of God, but yet we know in our day-to-day living that we still fall short of God's standards. We still sin before God. We still sin against each other. And so I want, us to, I want to invite us this morning as we come before the Lord, as we present ourselves before Him, that we will come with a posture of humility, the posture of recognition of our own failures, our own sins. And so I would invite you to join me as we confess this together. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age, the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our callous sins the sins we have done to please ourselves, the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, would you take this brief moment of silence, seated where you are or even as you're watching online, to just Confess your own personal sins to bring them before the Lord, and I'll assure us after this. Heavenly Father, we, as we meditate on the words that we've just read, Lord, we realize that, Lord, we do sin before you each day. We do sin against each other. We do sin outwardly, and we also sin in our hearts. Lord, I thank you that despite of our sins, despite of our failures, despite of our shortcomings, I thank you for Jesus Christ who paid our sins, who paid for our sins, who took upon our sins and suffered and died for it so that we may have may receive forgiveness and we may receive pardoning we may be redeemed from our sins now thank you too that that despite of what Jesus has done Lord as we do continue to still fall short that we still continue to sin on a regular basis I thank you that Lord the redemption the payment, the price that was paid by Christ is once and for all. That Jesus has died for our past sins, our present, and our future sins. And because of that, we can come before you. We can look to you. We can turn to Jesus. We can look to his grace daily in our lives, knowing that, that there's nothing, not an ounce in our strength that we can accomplish to be able to gain your love, to be able to gain your forgiveness other than the work of Christ. And so I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for 
his works. And I thank you too that Jesus lives in our lives each day, helping us and strengthening us so that we can learn to live in obedience, learn to live in humility. And so I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his strength. Thank you for his spirit in us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the assurance from Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellows, heir, heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Praise God. At this time, we will collect the offering. For those of you who are, have been giving, we want to thank you for your generosity. You can give online uh, through our app, or you can also give if you're here. Uh, if you want to drop a check, there's an offering box right next to the cameras. Thank you. Amen. We're reminded in Scripture that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. So I invite you to stand now as we rejoice and sing as a forgiven people, saying nothing but the blood of Jesus has washed us.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, Trinity Park, good morning. Whether you're joining us online or in person, it's great to see you this morning. Uh, wanted just to make a brief announcement to you about a couple things going on this week. We're really kicking off community life. I've been mentioning this a lot um, in sermons that, you know, I think we're all just starved for in-person community, and some of us are ready for that, and some of us aren't, but it's really a time this summer we can begin to re-engage in community, and so we've got some opportunities for our kids, our students, and also for us as adults to be able to hang out together. Uh, one thing going on uh, tonight is we have our high school Youth meeting led by Stephen Wiley and Jen Collins. That's going to be at North Cary Park, 7 p.m., 7 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, Stephen has told me all you need to do is show up. He's got everything taken care of, and so you can show up for that if you're a high school student. We had 14 students last week. It was really encouraging for folks to get back together, so I definitely would encourage you to do that. Um, also, <clears throat> tonight online at 8 p.m., so there may be a little bit of a conflict if maybe your kids can drive already if they're in high school, but at 8 p.m. tonight, 8 to 9 p.m., we're going to have a Zoom meeting. We're calling it a parents' meeting, but actually it's for anyone who's interested in what's going on with our children and our youth at Trinity Park. Uh, this is going to be an opportunity to hear from Eve and me about what's going on this summer with youth ministry and student ministry and children's ministry and what's going to be going on as we get into the new building and begin to relaunch. I know you have a lot of questions about how we're going to resume uh, children's ministry and youth ministry and so we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can, talk about uh, volunteering and our plans for utilizing the new building, talk about our search for a new youth director. And so uh, I'd love to have you join us tonight. Anyone in the church is welcome. We're calling it a parents meeting. But tonight from 8 to 9 p.m., we'd love to have you join. That's on Zoom. You can find the link to that in your weekly email that went out on Friday. If you don't get the weekly email, you can shoot me an email or charity an email through the church website. We'll get you the information that you need. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on the church app or not, uh, but you can definitely find it on the email, the link to the Zoom meeting. Uh, also this week we have a middle school meeting. Middle school met at my house for the first meeting. We had 40 uh, people at our house and about 17 kids in middle school, which is really cool. All the adults, all the parents hung out too. It was really fun. And so uh, our next middle school meeting is also on Wednesday night, and you should have received an email about that this week would encourage you to do that. So there's a lot of new opportunities to, to hang out. We had a church-wide fellowship on Wednesday night, a picnic at North Cary Park. Uh, had around 100 people show up, which was like way more than I thought would come out at the first meeting. So really encouraged about that. Encourage you to take advantage of these in-person opportunities as we begin to kind of slowly rebuild community after having so long uh, worshiping and hanging out in sort of an unorthodox way. So Join us for in-person fellowship and for Zoom tonight at 8 p.m. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you called us to come to you as we are. You, know, you do not desire for us to clean up our acts, or to have everything figured out before we turn to you. But instead, you want us to bring before you all our burdens, all our troubles, all our sadness, worries, pains, and sufferings before you. In the same way, you also want us to bring to you all our joy, all our happiness, and our pleasures, 
because you care about us deeply and and you care about what we experience you care about all the things that we experience and you want us to bring them before you you want us to share them with you because you are our Abba Father who knows us and who loves us deeply and we're thankful for this relationship that was made possible through your son Jesus and as such we come to you like we come to our earthly father knowing that nothing can separate us or nothing can jeopardize this relationship you know, as your word says for I am for, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from your love so help us Lord to remember that we are loved by you as your people in the times when we doubt in the times when we struggle to make sense of things in the times when when we are far from you I pray that Lord you would help us to be reminded of it that we are yours and you keep what is yours and Lord as your children this morning we cry to you Abba Father for our pain and sorrows we pray for Paul McGee who is mourning the loss of his good friend Louis Burkworth from a car crash a few days ago Lord, we pray for Lou's family, his wife, Myra, and their eight children who were recovering from the accident. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant them healing, not only from their physical pain, but also from the emotional and spiritual pain, from the loss of a husband and a father. Pray for Paul, too, Lord, that you will, you will comfort him in this moment as he mourns the loss of his friend. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on this family Lord I pray that you would bring people into their lives to to support them to comfort them I pray that Lord you would lay your arms around them in this time Lord, I pray for Rachel and Jonathan Gardner's good friends Mackenzie and Caleb who lost their baby this week after carrying him to for full term I pray for your presence to come upon the gardeners and their friends as they mourn over this heartbreaking situation, knowing that, that Mackenzie had to deliver the baby, knowing that, that, that he has passed, knowing that, that he's no longer alive. Lord, I can't imagine the emotional, um, the emotional baggage, the emotional situation that, that she had to encounter. Lord, I pray, Lord, again also for your presence to come upon them as they mourn. I pray for your grace to strengthen them in this time as they look to you, Lord, as they look to you to sustain them. Lord, we also mourn for the lives lost in this catastrophic disaster in Miami. And up till now, we know that there are at least four people who were killed, but more than 150 people remain unaccounted for. And many of these people who are immigrants and international retirees. Lord, I pray that you bring success to re rescuers who are working tirelessly to dig and search for those who are stuck. I pray for you to sustain the weather 
that it will not cause any delay or restrictions to the work. Lord, have mercy on these people and also for the families, Lord, for those who are far away, for those who are in other parts of the world, who are tuning in each day trying to figure out if, if they would be able to see their loved ones again. Lord, we come before you too to pray for our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world who are suffering and imprisoned. Lord, we remember our brother Wang Yi and, and the, also the others in China who are wrongly imprisoned for their faith. I pray for you to sustain them physically and spiritually, that despite of, of the loneliness and isolation that they are in in prison, I pray, Lord, that you meet them that you come to their aid, that you be with them in their cells. And Lord, too, as we turn to you as a body, as a church body, Lord, we pray for preparation for us as we transition to this new building that you have provided for us. Lord, we do not take for granted, for we know that, Lord, there's been so much that we've experienced, so much that we've gone through, Lord, and so much that we have suffered. And I pray, Lord, even in the midst of all of these things, Lord, I th I'm thankful, Lord, that you have provided for us a place that we can come together to worship, come together to meet, come together to strengthen each other. Lord, I'm excited for this place. But I also pray, Lord, for wisdom and patience, Lord, as we learn to navigate through what it means to worship indoors, what it means to, to start all our ministries back up again. I pray that, Lord, you enable us, Lord, to, to come together, Lord, to, to have patience with each other, to have grace with each other as we learn to navigate through all these details. I also pray, Lord, that you enable us even though we will be meeting together, we will have this place. Lord, help us not to look inwardly to ourselves only, but also to, to consider those who are outside of the church. Help us, Lord, to have an outwardly look towards those in our community who are needy, those who are struggling, so that we can extend your grace and hope towards them through our actions and through our words. Lord, as we turn to you this morning, as we prepare to sit under your word and your teachings. Lord, I know that your word is the truth that guides us and your word is the hope that comforts us in this world. And so I pray that you help us as we look to you this morning. I pray that you give us strength. I pray that you give Kisa the ability to read your word clearly and powerfully. And I pray for our pastor Corey as he brings the word to us too, Lord, that you would guide his his mouth, that, that, Lord, that he would be your mouthpiece to deliver your truth to us, Lord. We look to you, Jesus, and we ask you in your precious name. Amen. A reading from Acts chapter 21, verse 37 through chapter 22, verses 21. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, 
may I ask you something? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take these also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And, <clears throat> and at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and filling, flinging dusk into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? 
When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're talking about testifying to the gospel. And I just want to make sure this lands in our real life. I mean, today Andy just prayed for Paul's good friend who died in a car accident. He was actually a church planter. Uh, he had 10 children, I believe. Um, then we, we went on and prayed for Rachel and Jonathan's good friends who just lost a baby at full term. Unbelievable tragedy. We just prayed for Miami. We prayed for what's going on there with very possibly 150 or so lives lost. And we're talking about testifying to the gospel of grace. You know, what we believe as Christians is that the Lord in the midst of our suffering is real. What we believe is we believe in a new heavens and a new earth. We believe that on this earth, in this life, we will have trouble. We, believe, we acknowledge the suffering of this world. Much of what we do in life, much of what our, our culture does, we try to, to not acknowledge the real suffering. We try to dodge it. We try to act like we can minimize it. We, we go toward addictions. We move toward all of these other things and, and act as if we might be able to come up with some sort of a political or social solution to all of our problems. But we realize that this world is broken. It's desperately broken. Paul's friend's family, his wife and children, are clinging to the God of grace because they believe in this moment that God is still their God. God is still, he has brought their father on into glory, and they will go and and meet him one day. The, The gardener's friends, even though they are absolutely rocked and crushed, they are clinging to the Lord for mercy. In our suffering, what is our answer in suffering? Our answer is the God of grace who redeems, who carries that baby on into glory. Just as David said, I will go to be with you one day when he lost his child, we know that children lost go to be with the Lord. And we have hope as Christians in the midst of this. In the midst of COVID-19 and all that has gone on and all the death we've seen in this world, we are the ones who have the answer to this because of what Christ has done for us. And then it reminds me not only just of the suffering in general of this world, but the suffering brought on by our sin. Look at our confession. I mean, it just is amazing that we can acknowledge all of our past sin, all of our present sin, the sins of our youth and the sins of our age. I was talking with someone this week who I didn't know very well. They don't go to this church, but they know I'm a pastor, and they just started pouring out their life to me. And as they, as they got going talking about the, the real problems of their life, like, like detailed problems, sins of their life. He stopped and he said, I don't know if I should keep on sharing because I don't know if you can handle this, if you'll, you'll reject me, if I really tell you what's going on in my life. <laughs> and I just told him, 
Man, this is the gospel of grace. Grace alone makes Christianity different than any other religion on earth. Whatever you've done, whatever you are doing now and whatever you will do because of what Christ has done, he is the answer to our suffering and he is the answer to our sin. And I don't want to just paint a pretty picture over how Paul shares the gospel because look at how Paul, look at what is going on with this guy at this moment, okay? Like we're going to break down in just a second how Paul shares the gospel, but let's not, let's not neglect the circumstances of Paul's life at this point. I mean, Paul has gone back to Jerusalem knowing he will receive persecution. He's gone back 25 years after Jesus was crucified there by these very same religious leaders. He's gone back 15 chapters after he himself oversaw the stoning of Stephen. He's going back in this place, and he knows he's going to receive persecution, and he's about to be murdered by a mob. He is literally at the, in the throes of death before this person, this, this official, plucks him out of this and allows him to share the gospel. I mean, this is, this is real. And so what we have to acknowledge is that we need to testify for the gospel, and what we're learning about testifying for the gospel, it's not when you've had your favorite bougie cup of coffee in the morning, and when you get like three interrupted, uninterrupted hours with the, the Lord, and your favorite book, and you know, maybe you got to go to the beach for a month and you're just at the peak of your game and, and you just had a week where you're just knocking it out of the park as a parent and you haven't had marriage problems in a really long time. You feel great physically. You have more money than you know what to do with. And now you have the chance, now that you've got the bandwidth and the margin, you get a chance to share the gospel because now you've got time. No, what's going on and what Paul shows us here is that we are called to testify for the gospel and the world needs the gospel in the middle of life, in the middle of real life, in the middle of real sin, in the middle of real suffering and real struggle. And we Christians are in the middle of that with the world. We experience all of that. And that's why we need Jesus. The world doesn't need you to tell them that you've figured everything out and you have all of this money and you get unlimited vacation and you've just, you're just an amazing parent, and you've got it all figured out, and here's the seven things you can do. The world needs to hear that you, in the midst of the brokenness and the milieu of life, know Jesus Christ. And you are not hoping in this world, but you're hoping for the city that is to come. And this is what Paul shares with them, knowing that he's, he's not ever going to be free again. He's not ever going to be free. He's going to go on trial, and he's standing for his life. And so as Paul, we're going to get into what Paul shares here, but I want to know that we have the opportunity to follow Paul. We have the opportunity to learn from Paul, but it's got to happen in the realities of life. As we experience the gospel of grace, as we experience the spiritual dynamics that we are, you are totally forgiven of your sins. Whatever you've done, that in your very real suffering, in your very real struggles, that Jesus is present with you in the midst of life, as you experience the gospel of grace, that you have been forgiven of your sins, you then can pour out your life into a broken and dying world, just like Paul gets the opportunity to do here. So let's look in at Paul in the midst of this very tense situation where he almost was murdered, where, where he gets an opportunity to testify to the gospel of grace. How does he do it? How can we learn from Paul in the midst of this? Well, first of all, we learn you need to use your God-given gifts and abilities. 
You need to use your God-given gifts and abilities. Look at the way Paul uses the gifts that God has given him. First of all, the languages that he speaks. He speaks Greek, the commander, and then he switches to Aramaic or Hebrew when he addresses the crowd. So Paul is bilingual, as many of you are here, and God wants you to use those gifts when you testify for the gospel, when you're sharing with other people. If you can speak another language, you should use that. Paul is also, he's educated, and he shows us that he's educated. He says he's from Tarsus, which is a university city in Asia. He says he was trained by Gamaliel, which was, he was the leading rabbi of the Hillel school. And so he's using his educational pedigree to gain a hearing for the gospel. He talks about his cultural background. He was a Jew who spent his formative years in Jerusalem. He grew up in Cilicia, then he moved to Jerusalem. Then later on, he plays the Roman citizenship card. And so he's saying, look, culturally, I can relate to all of you people who are going on here. Paul also leverages his personality. It says that Paul motioned to the crowd, and they fell silent. I mean, this is the kind of guy that Paul was, that he was this, he was this force of personality, and he uses whatever God has given him in this situation. Paul is a gifted man. The question I ask here is, how is Paul so gifted, bilingual, multilingual, very well-educated, brilliant, culturally savvy, able with that kind of force of personality to wave at the crowd, even though they were about to kill him. Maybe there's some Holy Spirit stuff going on here too, probably so. But anyway, they, they all calm down and want to hear what he has to say. How does that work? How is Paul not just so interested in, his own, in building his own kingdom? How is he not just so interested in his own personal glory, but instead... He would write in Philippians 3, 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever was to my profit, whatever got me ahead in life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What, even more, he says, I consider it rubbish or dung, or even worse words you could insert here, uh, that I may gain Christ. How has Paul had this personal transformation? Well, Paul recognizes, and we'll get into his, how he shares his testimony later. Paul recognizes that whatever gifts he has been given, whatever abilities he's been given by God, he now, to draw people to himself, that is, a, that is not the way that God is calling him to use his gifts and abilities. Instead, he wants to take everything that he has and all of these gifts and abilities given by God, and he wants to use them all up, not for his own glory and the furthering of his own personal kingdom, but he wants to use it up for the glory of God. Some of us, to apply this, some of us, and we look at our story, we also have gifts and abilities we need to use. Now, some of you are, if you look at your life, you're, and I struggle with some of these things too, you can be a bit embarrassed about your background, embarrassed about your story. We all have embarrassing parts of our story, you know. <laughs> we do. Uh, you know, when I moved out of the South, I quickly recognized that if you have a Southern accent, people don't take you seriously. And so I was kind of embarrassed about my southern accent. But I didn't know that God was going to use me to potentially and even reach people from the south who had grown up in religion but didn't know the gospel. And so sometimes I need to use that southern accent um, in those situations. And maybe you have a physical or mental or emotional or social area of brokenness in your life 
Uh, we all have areas like that, but maybe you have a particular challenge that you face, and you tell yourself, you know, because of this limitation that I have, I cannot really be effective in my witness for Jesus. But you have to recognize that there's so many people in this world that have that, that a similar limitation or a similar struggle to you. And only you probably can walk through that gateway for the gospel in that unique way. You have an amazing opportunity. Some of you have moved to this country and English is your second language or third language. And you think, because my English isn't what it needs to be in America, I can't really be an effective person to testify for the gospel. But nothing could be further from the truth. We need to hear your story. We need to hear you articulate it. And there are people in this country that do speak even your first language, and you can have an amazing ministry to them in a way that we could never reach them. You have an amazing opportunity. So you might see this limitation in your life or this area of brokenness, and think, I can't be an effective witness. But even that, that is something that God has given you that is a doorway into this world that you can use for the sake of Christ. But others you, others of you don't really know what to do with the strengths that you have in your life. And you've spent your life trying to figure out, uh, how do I uh, kind of how do I own my strengths in such a way that it's for God's glory? I mean, the world tells us if you're, if you're smart, if you're well-educated, if you're multilingual, if you have a lot of resources, if you have a lot of social power, you should use that for your own personal advantage. I mean, that's the world. And, and we're, we, we grow up and people say, hey, what are your strengths? Play to your strengths. And, and we're, we learn to build our own kingdom. But in Christ, we learn how to divest ourselves of all that, how to invest our gifts for the sake of the kingdom. Listen, if you're really smart, if you're above average IQ or really high IQ, what an opportunity to witness for the gospel of grace. If you speak multiple languages, that's amazing. How can you, how can you utilize that to, for the furthering of the kingdom? If you have really high social IQ and emotional IQ, what an opportunity not for you to build your own kingdom, but to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not anti-intellectual, anti-education, anti-culture, anti-wealth, or anti-expertise. Christianity is for all of these areas of your life. It's just not for you using all of those things for your own personal advantage. God gave you those gifts. If you have an above-average quotient of all that, how can, you, how can you love other people and lead other people with those gifts instead of being so interested in building your kingdom. There's a significant shift that has to occur because of grace. God didn't give you that to make much of yourself. He gave you that to make much of him. And the more, the more people who are gifted and, and bl very blessed in certain areas are acquainted with grace, the more they own the gospel of grace in their own story, the more they realize that it's ludicrous to call people to follow you or to make much of you you find it uh, kind of incomprehensible that people would make much of you, but you want to make much of Christ. And so in light of Christ, all of these areas, your mind, your college, your grad school diploma, your lingual abilities, your business successes, your net worth need to be given up for the sake of Christ. And you use your gifts and abilities when you're sharing the gospel. You also need to care about, second of all, you need to care about your listeners. That's something that Paul does here. He uses gifts and abilities, but he also cares about, deeply about his listeners. 
which let's not miss this. This is amazing that Paul cares about these people. I mean, they're trying to kill him. Why does he want to share the gospel with them? I would think he'd be like Jonah with Nineveh, like running in the other direction. Why does Paul on a dime turn around these people who have just very recently, like five minutes ago, hated him and wished that he would die? He now cares about them so much that he would share the gospel with them. Well, I think we can learn about this from Paul's own experiences in chapter 9 and 21. This is Paul's visit, his next visit to Jerusalem after he has just, he has just been blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, and then he returned there. And now he's in Acts 21, he's back. He's, he's come back, and right after his conversion, he comes so close to being killed, they have to lower him out of the Jerusalem wall, in a, out of the city, in a basket. So that's his last experience in Jerusalem. Now he's back in Acts 21, and they want to kill him again. Why does Paul care about them? Paul cares about them because he sees himself in them. Paul sees that he, the only difference between himself and these people, literally is the gospel of grace. That is the one difference. Paul Paul was the most zealous persecutor of the faith. He sees himself in these people. He sees the image of God in them. He sees his story in them. And so it makes him the perfect one to communicate the gospel message to them. We can go even further. We need to talk about how can we care for people when they have hurt us recently. It's easy to share the gospel with someone, or easier, when we actually really like this person and they like us and we have this really nice relational harmony It makes the transition a little bit easier. But Paul, how can we, like Paul, love and care for people who have recently hurt us? Or we perceive that in our relationship with them. Well, we have to be deeply acquainted with the gospel of grace in our own lives. We have to see that the only only reason why we're not where they are. In fact, we, we often may be where they are. We can be the ones who are hurting other people. We usually start in relationships with people that have hurt us and we think, they have victimized me. I am the victim here. And then we have to recognize, we step back and we go, wait a minute, I also victimize other people in the same way that they are victimizing me. I don't love people. I don't care for people. I am short with people. I say things to people that are not kind. I am, you have to see yourself in them. You see the gospel story in them, that you, like them, are broken by the fall. In fact, the very sin that you are very frustrated about and hurt by, you may have committed that exact same sin to other people. You probably have. And as you realize that you victimize others, you then move from being a victim to realizing how much you depend on the Lord for mercy and grace. You see, when you share the gospel of grace, you need to be experiencing the gospel of grace. It can't just be an exercise. You can't just snap into your four-point or three-point outline. You need to be experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ for you. And then it enables us to love people who have really hurt us, maybe even very profoundly. And so Paul actually finds himself seeing himself seeing the image of God, the broken image of God in these people, and he shares his message out of that care for them. 
And how does he do it? First of all, he personalizes his message with this understanding that they are like him. He starts by saying, we have much in common, essentially. He says, fathers and brothers. These are the first words of Stephen in Acts 7. As, as Paul is there, 15 chapters later, he is remembering the whole time, and you can see overtones of Stephen's stoning in this moment. Paul is remembering that he now finds himself in the place that, that Stephen was under his leadership, under his authority when Stephen was killed. And so in the way that Paul frames his speech, I'll, I'll share a few things along the way, but he is, he is basically remembering or almost paying homage to Stephen in the way that he says these things. He says, fathers and brothers, it's the way that Stephen begins his speech. And basically he's saying to them, I am one of you. I am one of you. He speaks Aramaic. He's saying, I know you, I understand you. He says, I am a Jew twice. I am one of you. I was brought up in this city. I spent my growing up years here with people just like you. In fact, some of these people could have been Paul's friends in school. He says, under Gamaliel, I was trained. I have been trained in the law that either meets or exceeds your expectations, exceeds your training. I was just as zealous as you are today. He says, I understand your passion and your hatred for Jesus. I understand you. He says, I persecuted followers of the way. But then he goes further. He says, we don't just have much in common. He says, my zeal for the law even exceeds your zeal. He says, I actually was even more zealous than you. I was worse than you. He says, because I was successful. You tried to kill me, but you failed. <laughs> I succeeded in killing people. I'm a murderer, Paul says. I murdered people for the cause of Judaism. He says, I arrested both men and women. I prayed on the strong and the weak. I threw them into prison. I did exactly what you're doing, but I took it even further. And then in verse 5, he says, I was a traveling mercenary for the Sanhedrin. I was paid by the Sanhedrin to go out and find people and jail them or kill them. He's saying, you cannot beat me at your zeal, and I am worse than even you. I am worse. I, he says later on, he says, I am the chief of sinners. And Paul meant it. He really did. He said, no one can exceed the degree of sin that I have engaged in. I have murdered for hire followers of Jesus Christ. I am the epitome of who you want to be. So Paul personalizes his message. And we've got to say that in this moment, Paul was the very perfect representative of Christ. And this I mean, this is the sovereignty of God in this moment to put Paul here in Jerusalem to be the one to say these things to these people. It's it's amazing. It's uncanny the levels of similarity that Paul has. And we may not, and when we're sharing the gospel, we may not have exactly the same degree of similarity and overlap in, with our uh, friends or the audience we may find ourselves in to share the gospel. But it's important that the people that you're speaking to know, A, that you really do care about them. What often, what often happens when we share the gospel, when people share the gospel, is that you kind of lose your care for them and you kind of, you get so concerned about not getting it wrong, not getting the message wrong that you don't really empathize and relate to the person that you're sharing with. I mean, it's definitely important to, 
to get it, to get it right and to share the story of Christ right, and we'll get there. This is the third point, okay, a little preview. But before you get there, don't forget when you're sharing the gospel with someone that, that you, you, well, do you love them? Do you love them? I mean, do you see yourself in them? Do you, do, you, do you understand them? Have you taken the time to think about their life? Have you taken the time to think about their story? Can you identify with them? Now, again, Paul's overlap is, is crazy. Now, you may not have that same degree of overlap, but I guarantee you, you can find an area where you can relate. Hey, I'm, you could say, you know, I'm a mom, or, you know, I also have been really frustrated in my job, or, man, you want to talk about sin, let me tell you something that I've done. You don't need to make it about you. Make sure that you're, you're focusing on them, but relate to them. Don't, don't allow them to think that you're special and you don't really struggle. Man, that's not going to help at all. You make sure that they know that you too are a sinner, that you too struggle. You are broken, just like they are. And if you can't really find a whole lot of overlap, and it's just one of those situations, you can know that your basic story is their basic story. Man, you were created for God's glory, and everything got messed up. Everything did because of sin in this world. Your story got broken, and so did theirs. And the only hope for you and for them is the gospel. The only hope is Jesus Christ. And, and the only hope in Jesus Christ, yes, he is renewing you now and redeeming you now, and your sins are forgiven now, but the hope is in the life to come. The hope is in the new heavens and the new earth. Not everything's going to get put back together again on this earth. Some things are, are still broken, but we still have a God who is at work and is with us in our suffering. You know, during the civil rights movement, one of the most powerful images that came out was the sign, I am a man. I am a man. You've, you've probably seen these signs. And what's so powerful about that is that the black community was saying to the white community at the time, mainly, hey, you need to see us as being co-created in the image of God. We are equals. What is happening to us, we are your brothers and your sisters. Do you see the image of God in us? And that's what lowered, that's one of the things that, that finally registered. And we need to see that when we're talking to someone else, they need to see we're just a man or a woman, and they're just a man or a woman created in God's image. And we have the same story, essentially. We need the God of grace. And so this whole, this whole Paul sharing um, how he cares for them and, and sharing in, with his gifts and abilities naturally leads the people to the question, how in the world did you go from hating Jesus and trying to kill the followers of Christ to being on the, the other side, being killed for Christ, being on trial for Christ. How did this happen? And so Paul gets this chance to launch into his story. And this is the third point. When you have a chance to testify to the gospel, you need to tell your story. Tell your story. The power of story, even today in our culture, it's still powerful. Even in a culture that says what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, hey, use it. If it's true for you, it's true for you, and other people have to acknowledge that's okay. We still aren't so far that people, people will usually listen still to another person's story. And so you get a chance to tell your story. So, so I would just encourage you, when you get an opportunity, most of the time what the person's looking for on the other side, sometimes they need like an apologetics proof 
sometimes. But most of the time what they need is not for you to prove like the age of the earth or, you know, how Christianity relates to evolution. Sometimes they might need that. But a lot of times what they need is they need you to just talk about your story in a way that they can relate to and understand. You, you need to cut through some of that, some of those smokescreen uh, questions. If they're, if they're an intellectual, you may have to answer some of those questions, but you want to be able to get to your story. So let's, let's look at the way that Paul told his story. So he starts with this, and this is the, this is the outline for any testimony that you would ever want to share with anyone, okay? He starts with before, the before part of the story. He, he says, before I knew Christ, he's like, remember, we've already talked about this. I was, I was persecuting like crazy. I hated Jesus. Man, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous. I, I was the, the prime example. I was, I was the A student. Then he looks back on his story of zeal. He starts to vulnerably share the depth of his sin. He says, I was a murderer. My zeal for the, against the church, my zeal against the way, led me to be a murderer. And he says, ironically, like you maybe, I thought I was close to God. But actually I've realized that I was far away from him. And I knew it because my heart was very obviously far away from what God cares about. And so he's, he's sharing with them uh, in, a, in a subversive way that they too, in their zeal, are far from God. So he's sharing his before story. And how can we learn from that? You need to remember who you were before you met Christ. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, we feel like we've moved on. And, and we, we have. We have Christ, and, and Christ has renewed us. But you need to remember. You need to remember where you were turning instead of turning to Christ. What were you going after before you met Christ? Maybe even what were you enslaved to? What did you feel like you couldn't live without and, and your whole identity was contingent on this thing that you had to have? What was that for you? So you need to remember who you were before you met Christ. Okay, so before. And then the, the middle part of the story is the conversion part of the story. What happened that caused me to change my direction? When, where was I when Christ arrested me on the road of life? Paul's on this Damascus road, he's journeying, and then God breaks in on him and arrests him on the road of life. What happened to arrest you on the road of life? And the first part of conversion is confrontation. It's confrontation. Before you get to uh, the repentance and, pa- and faith part of this thing, you, you've got to be confronted. There's got to be a moment where God confronted you and said, hey, no more. That's not the way you're supposed to be going. Look at, where you, look at where it's leading you. Look at what's happening. And for Paul, on the road of life, he encounters God who is seeking after him. When conversion happens, it's not because we're seeking after God usually. It's because God is seeking after us. And in this moment on the Damascus Road, as, as, as Saul at the time experiences, that was Paul's name before God changed his name to Paul. His name was Saul. God says to him, why are you persecuting me? And this voice breaks in on him on the road of life. And maybe that voice is broken, and I hope it's broken in on you, where God came in and said, look, 
what you're doing and how you're living, it's hurting me. This is, against, this is against me, not just against yourself, not just against other people, but I want to change your life. Then Paul asked the first of his two questions. His first question is, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? That's the first question of conversion. Who are you? I, I want to know you. I want to understand about you. Who are you? I know in my life, when God broke in on me, you, if you've been here a while, you've heard me tell the story. I'd grown up in church. I'd grown up in the deep south. I'd heard the gospel a million times. And yet, in this moment when I was in college, I was just so weighed down by my sin. I had gone into a, a time of depression in my life. And I was, it was around Christmas, and I was in a regular worship service. And the Lord just started to tell me in my spirit, Corey, I love you. I love you right now in the, in the depths of all of the junk in your life that you very well know. And he's like, I, I know even more about it than you do. I love you. And it is as if these streams of God's grace just started flowing over me. And I, I, just, I just started weeping as a 20-year-old college student. And, and I don't know what it was for you. For Paul, it was dramatic. It was, a, a, it was on the road. It was a blinding light. Some of you may have been at camp. Others of you may have been at your bedside with your parents talking about the gospel. Maybe for others of you, it was, it was you were reading a book and, and the Lord broke in on you. It doesn't matter, but the Lord has to have arrested you. He has to have confronted you on the road of life for you to be a Christian. You have to have had a time in your life when you've recognized you were walking away from God, maybe running, and God broke in on you and saved you. And so Paul says, who are you, Lord? And God says to him, follow me. And then the second part of conversion, after we are confronted, is repentance and faith. This is the, the transformation part of conversion. After we're confronted, Paul asks his second question. And this is a question that, that signifies the tremendous change that has gone on in Paul. He says, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? And this is, the, this is the question of a disciple. This is not the question of someone who's running their own life. Paul had been calling his own shots, and now he's saying to God, what do you want me to do? And that's really, that's really the next question. The first thing God wants you to do is to repent of your sin and to believe the gospel. To repent of your sin and to believe the gospel of grace. He wants you to turn away and to embrace the grace of God in, his life, in your life. That's the, first, that's the first exercise that has to happen. Even that is a gift of God that would happen in you at all. But then the rest of the Christian life is really just keeping on doing that over and over again. Some people have called it a gospel dance, where you repent of your sin, you believe the gospel, and then you fight the good fight. It's a, it's a gospel waltz where we, we dance with the Lord and he continues to transform us by his grace as we continue to journey on. But God has changed the direction of Paul's heart. I wonder for you if you've been converted, if you've, if you've had a moment in your life where you've been confronted by God's grace and you have repented and received the gospel of grace. Because here we're talking about testifying for the gospel, but if you've never had that moment in your life where you've believed the gospel and received the gift of grace for you, 
then, then testifying to the gospel, that's not an important step for you to take. You just need to be acquainted with the grace of God for you in your own life. Then after, there's the after part of the story. So you have before, you have conversion, you have after. When you're telling your testimony. How has Paul changed because of the gospel? We've already talked about his direction and life changing. Now his calling is completely different. He's not living to serve himself. He's living to serve Christ. His calling is completely different. But also, I want you to recognize that his theology has changed. His way of understanding who God is has changed. And there's at least two ways that are pointed out here. First of all, he points out to them that God's intended fruit of the Old Testament is Christianity. He tells them that he was zealous for the law, but now he recognizes that now he's even more zealous for the law of God. He's even more zealous for the things of God than he ever was before because he has Christ who is the fulfillment of the law. And so God has reinterpreted theology for him. You know, all of us, before we're Christians, we all have a theology of some kind. You all are trying to understand who God is and what he's about. After we become a Christian, God clarifies for us what theology really is through the lens of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that God confirms to Paul is something that he could not have seen before, is that his intended plan was to extend the gospel to the Gentiles all along. You know, throughout the Old Testament, this is something the Jewish community had missed, that God's plan all along was to extend the gospel of grace all the way to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, on the Damascus Road, or afterwards as he's meeting with Agabus, there's this moment where, where God says, no, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And Paul actually kind of argues back with God. And he's like, no, actually, I think the better calling for me would be to reach Jews. And, and God's like, no, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. I mean, so Paul's obviously at this moment, he's been a Christian for like three days. But he's just learning that actually now Jesus calls the shots. You, don't, you, can, you can talk back to God. That's fine. But at the end of the day, he's still God, and you have to follow him. And so he's learning how to be a disciple. And, and the rest is history. God uses Paul in these unbelievable ways to reach Gentiles. And now in Acts 21 and 22, he is reaching Jews as well. So to, to tie this up with your story, telling your story, your testimony, can you tell your testimony? Are you able to, to share your story with someone else? Are you aware of your before, your conversion, and your after? Can you, can you break that down for someone? Can you, can you say that to someone in a way that they can understand? In a way that you're aware of who they are and what they need in that moment of their life? This is one way we can be faithful to testify to the gospel of grace. So just to sum it up, here's some things for you to think about. So when you're testifying for the gospel, first of all, let's not forget, this happens in real life, okay? Paul is in the middle of a day. I mean, a really, really hard day, a bad day, a, a difficult moment. And yet this is the moment. This is actually the moment, and I would argue for you, when you are broken and you're very aware that everything hasn't been put back together again, and there are cracks in your life, this is the time when the, when the light of God can shine through all those cracks in your life. You are not relatable to other people if you put out to other people, if you're communicating that, that actually I'm kind of all put back together again, a perfect story, the redemption is complete. It's not real, 
And people don't know what to do with that because they're in the middle of whatever they're in the middle of. So don't give people your own personal quest for perfection. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus through your life. Tell them about how you need Christ right now. Tell them about how you're experiencing him right now in your life. And then from that heart attitude, think about what unique gifts and abilities do you have? What, how has God gifted you? We are some gifted people. All, every single one of you is gifted in a way that makes you unique, a unique image bearer, able to reach people that I could never reach, that Tim Keller could never reach, that Matt Chandler could never reach, that anybody could ever reach, that the person sitting next to you, you have a unique opportunity as a mom, as a, as a student, as someone who's struggled with the things you've struggled with, you have an amazing opportunity to use the languages that you speak, the education that you have, or whatever it might be for Christ. Second question is, what would it look like to care deeply for other people when you share with them, even people who have caused you personal pain? Wow. That really brings it home for me. And that, that, requires, that requires us to to really understand that we need the grace of God for ourselves so that we can love other people. And then finally, if you had the opportunity to tell your conversion story, how could you talk about what Jesus has done in your life with someone else in a way that they can really comprehend it and understand it? You know, one of the hallmarks of our church all along has been we want to be a church that is present in the community, getting to know our neighbors, really loving our neighbors, loving our community to bring them in, we're about to move into this new building, and even out here in the parking lot, uh, we have an opportunity to welcome people into our church. I would just encourage us to all think about how can we tell our story? I know for me, the first thing that comes up is tell my story. How, how can I proclaim the gospel? How can I do that in the midst of everything going on in my life? I would argue that what is going on your, in your life right now with Jesus has everything to do with how you can tell your story in this moment. To, to those neighbors around you who need to hear the gospel of grace. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are such a, a good God to us, Lord. Each one of us, Lord, in our own lives have a story, and that story is still being written. Lord, I pray for the person here today that is, the many today, I'm sure, that are dealing with a broken heart over some event that happened in the past or maybe very recently, Lord, I pray that you would show them how much you love them and care for them. Lord, I pray for the person who has been hurt by other Christians and by the church. And because of that is, is having a hard time really believing your grace, living in your grace. Lord, I pray that you would show them how much you love them and care for them in the midst of their struggle. Lord, I pray... For anyone here today who is, is suffering or has friends that are suffering and they're walking through that with them, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in this moment and allow them, enable them to know how to be acquainted with grace and share that gospel. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we, in our moments when the heat is really turned up in life, that we will not in that moment dodge the opportunities to share the gospel. We will press in knowing that your grace is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, we thank you that you are strong when we are weak. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together. We have received a great gospel. Let's sing of this gospel and ask God to help us as we live out this gospel we've received.
meeting tonight. Uh, you're actually going to get a mail merge email going to be sent to you. So if you can't find the link, hopefully you can find it through the mail merge. Love to have anyone here in the church join who's interested in learning more about our children's ministry and youth ministry in this moment. Okay, please receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours today, world without end. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.